Good morning. As you're going through the mind training and and training your mind with spirit, that that is very important to start the day right, to send your day off in the right direction. Jesus tells us that in the course. It's it's actually quite important how you end the day and start the day as your mind can get set off into a pattern. So, if you're really willing to start the day like we just did in a very reverent way, that uh, that can take you a long way. Save a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, I'm just so grateful to be here with all of you. It's I just look around at all the faces. I've, Seen some of you and known you for years, stayed at some of your houses on all the travels and been hosted and yeah, it's just an honor for me and for us to host you now in this because it's just so precious and and we are in a process of mind training just like uh, some of you were here when we did a little pre-movie before the festival started. We watched together Molly's Game. Some of you might have heard of that. Jessica Chastain. And many people commented how they were just like taken in from the first scenes and then totally engrossed and engaged in the movie. And then, of course, there were a lot of emotions with that engagement, and I was always fascinated by philosophy, and one of the things that really drew me, and many of you know about it, was uh, Plato's cave analogy. It was so powerful. It was almost like that one analogy was like for all time, for all of history, for all those that are caught in watching images on the, the edge of the cave and feeling captive by the watching, some kind of a feeling of captivity. Literally in Plato's cave analogy, they're, they're prisoners, they're chained down and they can't move. And I've also enjoyed all of the the metaphors and allegories of involving the projector metaphor that many Course in Miracles teachers use quite frequently, saying you got to get off the screen. <laughs> you know, your life is this stream of images, but you believe you're on the screen. You just like when you go to watch a movie, it's easy to forget temporarily that you're in a movie theater and become totally engaged, engrossed in the movie, as if you're there, as if you're you're like right there with the characters and somewhere in that movie, somewhere in that dreamlike movie, you're inside of it and you feel the emotions that are part of being connected in such a way that you've forgotten that you're in a movie theater, or at home on your couch watching a, a video from the internet. You forget about the couch, you forget about 
your surroundings and you become so engrossed in the movie and that's that's quite powerful. So I would say that the way my life has gone in the parable of David is that I started really looking at those analogies and going, hmm, if I'm not this figure in a dream, if I'm not this character called David, then I'm quite interested to be shown who am I if I'm not this character. Because I think most of us can realize that the stresses and strains and struggles are really about just one thing, is being identified with the character. Just like in the movie, when we go to a movie we get identified with maybe the main character or characters and then we go through all these emotions as if we're the character. You know, our heart starts pounding sometimes and we start sweating, we start feeling anxious, it's because we're caught up. So it must be that for us to know who we truly are is simply to learn to disengage from an investment in being that character. And just like in the movies, you know, it seems like all the characters are playing out, acting out a script with a plot and it's like all the characters have the underlying assumption that the plot is real. Otherwise, in the middle of the movie they could just go, okay, stop here. <laughs> We're, gonna, we're not going any further. We're going on strike and you're just watching us and we're not going to do it anymore. And uh, so there's like an assumption. And some of you, I think, are feeling that as you begin to go through this wake-up process where you still find yourself explaining your spiritual journey to somebody. As if you can really do that. You know, here's one character <laughs> explaining their spiritual journey to another character, and both characters are, are acting. And there's something awkward about it. Especially when the characters just shake their head and go, what are you on about? Yeah. I remember I say when in the early years of studying the Course, and I was having so many miracles on a daily basis, and yet when I finally sat down and tried to talk about the miracles to my mother, she said, no, I don't need a minister. I already have a minister. And then she said, you need to find other people to share this with. And I was like, hmm, that's Jesus. Talking through my mother, like, it was Jesus saying, I have to guide and direct even who you share anything with. I have to go before you and, and lead you in where there's an opening to even share this. I remember when I was in university, I, I just had this new car that I'd probably been dreaming about since I was maybe 12 years old. It was a Cougar XR7, and I was dreaming about it since I was 12, and I got my hands on one in university when I finally had enough money to purchase a used one. And uh, the, remember the tail lights had the, you know, really, I thought, this is cool. And I remember being in university 
University of Cincinnati, and I was taking some other friends who were students down to get some art supplies, and on the way back, the car was rear-ended uh, while I was stopped, and the other car was probably going like 35 miles an hour, and it just wiped out the car. It just smashed, it just ruined the structure of the car, and and I did... At that point, I did have this big spiritual insight and flesh that it's like, the spirit was like saying, look how invested you are in this car. You're not going in that direction. We'll simply remove that <laughs> from your dream there. But it's fascinating because it's not really a character in the dream that's attached and invested, it's the mind. And so where would that fit in our analogy, like Plato's cave analogy or our projection analogy? It would be like that insight came in not to the character of David, but it came into my consciousness, it came into my mind. And what is consciousness in the projector analogy? But that's the theater. And all those other people that are sitting with you in the theater are all your thoughts. They're all thoughts in consciousness. And it starts to get fascinating when you look at that analogy because you start to realize that, that you're really not going to advance to know who you are on the screen of the world. You're not really going to advance in the symbols and images. Because as long as you're taking the symbols and images to be reality, how would you have a clue what reality really is if you think reality is the symbols? There's one short sentence in the Beyond All Idols section of A Course in Miracles and it says, God knows not form. And if you put, I want to know God, or as Netta was singing, Father, you are my only goal. If God is love, pure divine love, is abstract love and light, is formless, never was born, never dies, just eternal, formless creation and divine love and light, then that would mean that you would have to start turning your attention away from these images and pay more attention to your thoughts. And in our analogy, the theater would be your thoughts. And then the screen that you're watching, where the actors are, where the act is happening, is the movie. But you have to begin to come off the screen and really start to pay attention to your thoughts. And really, that's where all the good action takes place. It's in the theater. You may say, I'm watching an action-adventure movie, but there's really no action invention in those images. That's just another projection. Action-adventure movie is just a label, a description of an interpretation that's been given to the movie. And so that's how Jesus has worked with me over the years. He's, he said, you've got to, you've got to, interact with me and I'll work with you in your consciousness, in your mind, but that is only to show you that the symbols of the world are just symbols. In fact, how could you ever get upset or stressed out if you were aware that symbols are just symbols? 
They're not actualities. The only problem there is, is forgetting that symbols are symbols. That's it. To be happy all the time, to be consistently happy and peaceful and joyful, all you do is have to be in a state of mind that simply recognizes symbols as symbols. So whatever the appearance is, whatever, however you see it, describe it, interpret it, if you can just take a look at first and say, what is this picture symbolizing to me? Then you can more quickly get back into the theater and take a look at really what that is, is what am I interpreting here? Because symbols are neither right or wrong or good or bad. Symbols are images that have been made by the ego and then the ego endowed the symbols with false meaning. And that's why we have to disengage from these ego judgments and interpretations of the world because it's our interpretations and judgments that are upsetting us. So if we use our analogy, it's our interpretations and judgments in the theater with our mind, just our mind interacting with our mind and interacting with these thoughts in most cases in a very unhealthy way. And I'll just say unhealthy because if it's upsetting, <laughs> it's unhealthy. Why is that? Because Jesus says health is inner peace. Health doesn't really have anything to do with the body. Health has to do with our state of mind. And when we come to that state of non-judgment, of acceptance, of divine love, then, then we look on everything with full appreciation. Because it also comes with an awareness that, that the images of the world are really not outside of our mind, that they are part of our consciousness. And that's where the purification is occurring, in consciousness. It's a purification of consciousness, where the Spirit's there with us. And obviously in the theater analogy, when you start to have your consciousness purified, then you're ready to go back through the glass, through the projector, and all the way back to the light. And the light has no images. The light doesn't have a, a, a filter that it's passing through. And you can go all the way and merge with that light. That's what Jesus calls in A Course in Miracles a revelation. When you have a direct revelatory experience, you have a merge with that light. Suddenly you realize you are one with God and one with everything. And there's no words necessary for that knowledge, that, that knowing, know thyself, of merging with that light. But we have to go through the theater. We, we can't ignore what seems to be occurring in that theater. And for many of us, that's why we've distracted with pursuing things on the screen, acting, playing parts, trying to accomplish things, achieve things. It's because we're afraid to even stay in the theater. It's dark in the theater. We feel there's people around us, but we don't know even 
much what they look like. We see slight shadows and reflections of them from the light coming from the screen, but we're surrounded by those that we're not quite so sure about. And those are our thoughts. Those are our thoughts of consciousness. Now there's many spiritualities, I'll take questions in a bit here, there's many spiritualities that that talk about the spiritual journey and they'll describe certain terms, but but one of the terms that is used a lot is consciousness. And sometimes people will talk about pure consciousness, or God consciousness, or Christ consciousness. But Jesus actually talks about consciousness not in any of those ways. He says a very interesting thing about consciousness, because this would be describing the theater. He says, consciousness is the domain of the ego. That's important. Consciousness is the domain of the ego. Consciousness arose after the separation. Hmm. So much for God consciousness. <laughs> because what is the domain of the ego is not of God. Ooh, that's going pretty deep. You read a lot of spiritual books and say, ooh, just wiped out about 99.8% <laughs> of all spiritual books with that one. That's deep and that's profound because those kind of metaphysics are important to wake up, if you really want to wake up. And that's why I'm so grateful for A Course in Miracles, because it's a very, very direct path to God, if you're willing. If you're willing and you have the faith to practice it and hang with it, and follow it all the way, to, so to speak, to run the course with the course. <laughs> if you're really willing to do that, it is so profound. See, Maddie's shaking his head. We both know we've been, for 30 years, we've been like, hallelujah. Thank you for this gift. Because it's so direct, I would say with most religions and many, many spiritualities, it's like trying to, to sew without a needle. Have any of you tried to sew without a needle? It's damn hard. So without a needle. <laughs> and the Course is like that needle. The Course is like taking the, the little, it takes a while to even get the thread, we know, in the needle. <laughs> even if you've got a great needle, you've still got to thread the needle. But once you do thread that needle, then you can sew. Even I could sew. If I could sew, you can sew. Uh, took me a long time to thread the needle, but I could sew, once I could get the needle threaded. And that's, why is that so? Is because, because of the depth that the metaphysics that are coming through and the mind training system of A Course in Miracles are what? Coming from the way shower, from the original, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. From the first one who seemed to wake up from the dream entirely, and who was put in charge of the plan of atonement, because having accomplished the part perfectly, was in a very good position 
to lead the awakening. I don't know about you, but I want somebody who's accomplished to be my leader. I'm not interested in false prophets, false teachers. I'm not interested in stepping stones. I'm not interested in middlemen, middlewomen. I'm not interested in delay. I'm interested in know thyself. Know thyself as God created you. I am still as God created me. That's my focus. So in that sense, that's what that needle is. It's just important only to the extent that it's just one among the many forms of the universal curriculum. And all of them you have to apply it. You have to give yourself fully over to it. And I feel like that's all part of a prearranged plan. Jesus even tells us that not even the form of the curriculum is your choice. Not even the form. So even though there are many forms, many pathways to God, that that's all part of a prearranged plan. All you can do is want to awaken, desire to awaken, and then this, it's so prearranged. I mean, as human beings, we have to begin to realize that our part in the awakening is so tiny, and the Holy Spirit's part is so huge, <laughs> that if we were that humble, we would even start to let go of the arrogance to say, well, yeah, I, I studied many different things, but out of all of them, I decided I chose, I, I chose to study the Course. I chose to study the Bhagavad Gita. It was I who chose to study the Upanishads. You know, no, no, it's actually part of a prearranged plan that we don't even have the power to choose the form of the curriculum. That's how tiny the contribution is. And Jesus says, yes, you might be tempted to feel insulted <laughs> that your part <laughs> is so tiny and the Holy Spirit's part is so great. But that's, that just shows us, if we're feeling insulted, that we still believe that we have some kind of power that is apart from what was granted us, what was given us in our creation. It's still that little bit of ingenuity, that little bit of, well, I think I, you know, it's like, it's like the ego is saying, come on now, okay, let's go 1% and 99%. And the Holy Spirit is like saying, no, it's actually much smaller than that. <laughs> and the ego is like, hell, that's terrible. <laughs> Bah! <laughs> you know, it's like, but, but that's important. So I feel like my work with the Course, after immersing myself, kind of using it as like an I Ching, uh, just praying and receiving answers from it, starting back in 1986, the point that was important to me that it was such a rapid undoing. And I think the reason it was a rapid undoing is that I got pretty quick that it wasn't about what was going on on the screen. Because when we identify with what's going on on the screen, it gets really difficult. If you're a Course in Miracles student or teacher and you seem to have symptoms showing up on the body, oh, that's a big one. There are teachers that have just closed the book and say, I can't teach. Look, I can't, I can't even go to my class. I've got runny nose or hay fever and I'm going there talking about I'm not a body and I feel like the biggest hypocrite in the universe. 
And that happens a lot, because why? Because there's still an interpretation and an identification with something on the screen. Still forgetting it's all just symbols. Not taking the clue from Jesus, just look at the symbols and go inside, come back into the theater with me. It's like Jesus is in the theater and he's sitting right next to you with a big bag of popcorn. Want some? <laughs> you know, he's sharing his soft drink. He's just laughing there with his hair flying back and just laughing and laughing and laughing, even though to you it's the most serious scene. <laughs> you get to the point of the movie, it's the breakup scene, and you're ha 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 ha. And Jesus is like, ha 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 ha. Give me that popcorn. You know, it's, but it's when you forget, when you forget who's beside you. You know, I love that workbook lesson where he says, who walks with me? This should be repeated a thousand times a day. You could just do your own version. Who sits with me in the theater? <laughs> you could, that could be your mantra. <laughs> who sits with me in the theater? Who am I watching this with? Who am I identified with? The way, the truth, and the life that's having a good laugh and sees the divine comedy? Or the one who is taking this really serious? No, I'm identified with Hamlet. No, I'm, I'm identified with Red Butler. No, I'm identified with Scarlet. <laughs> you know. <laughs> There's just that part, you know, and, and Jesus is like, just watch it with me. Just see it for what it is. Just begin to relax, enjoy, enjoy these movies. Because to act, I, one time I went to the dictionary, I looked up the word act, and it said to impersonate. Hmm, that says a lot right there. It's a very short definition, but whenever I'm wearing a mask, whenever I'm putting on an act, whenever I'm trying to hold on to a personality self, a personality image, the persona, the mask, it's like I believe the mask is more important than peace eternal, than happiness, than joy. So that's the key, is you have to come into the mind. And that's really what I loved so much about philosophy. I was always interested in philosophy. I was interested in all reading all the philosophers and what their take was on things. And I particularly liked it when I found a, a philosopher that I, I would say ask a very, very profound question. If I read all these philosophy books and then I read one philosopher who asked one question that I felt was pivotal in my awakening, I would be like, wow. It's amazing the other philosophers never asked that. <laughs> and the one I, there was a, a German philosopher who lived most of his life, I think, in Heidelberg, Germany, Immanuel Kant. And Immanuel Kant asked the question, How do we know what we know? And I thought, Wow, that's a good one. That sounds important. How do we know what we know? And the deeper you go down that rabbit hole, you start to wonder, do I know anything at all? I mean, the deeper you go. Because Kant said we either, we either learn through our five senses and the world of images, or we, 
we know what we know a priori, he called it, prior to the senses. Nobody ever told me that. What is this prior to the senses? What does that even mean? That sounds kind of cool. Do you mean before I even seem to be born, maybe deep inside I may maybe already have all the answers? I already know who I am before coming to this world and I just am playing amnesia game and pretending to forget and take on a bunch of roles and images. Hmm, that, that excited me. Because when I, when I heard him theorizing about that, I thought, hmm, I think it's prior, a priori, I think it is. I don't know fully what that means, but I'm interested. And he was really just saying, come off the screen. That was Immanuel Kant saying the same thing. And so, as we open our hearts and open our minds up, we start to realize that that what we are not aware of in the human realm is the divine mind. That that has completely been pushed out of awareness. And having spent some years studying psychology, when I was in undergrad and grad school, does everybody know the famous iceberg analogy? You know, the little bit that's above and in that analogy in psychology, the little bit that's above the surface is supposed to be your conscious mind, and then what's below is your unconscious mind. And I was just praying this morning, and Jesus said, well, it's, let's use that iceberg analogy. I'm always happy when he gives me analogy. He said, that little tip that's above the water, the point, the very tippy-toppy point of that iceberg protruding from the water, that's what your conscious awareness is, the point on top of the iceberg. And then the iceberg that's above the water, that's your unconscious mind. And then I said, well, what's the massive <laughs> thing that's underneath then? You're really blowing that analogy. I, I never heard this one before. He said, what's under the water is so huge and so vast that that's your mind. That's your actual mind. The part that you think is so important in the personality self and to psychology and everything, that iceberg that's above, is the teeniest part of your mind. That your perception of this entire cosmos and everything with all, in all of history is just part of the top, the part that's above the surface. And you aren't aware of your mind. You don't, aren't aware that you're an idea in the mind of God. That you have a vast mind and a powerful mind, just like God has a powerful mind. And that that is, that is really what we're trying to get back to. That's where you'll find the light of truth, is in that vastness. Not in this little surface stuff, this little piece of ice that's sticking above the water. You're not going to find reality in that little tip. That, that illusion is just the tip of the iceberg. And your reality is vast, far greater than that iceberg. It's, it's enormous. So you find passages in the Course, mind reaches to itself, it does not go out. It encompasses you entirely, you within it and it within you. At one point he says, you are mind, holy mind, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy 
mind, purely mind. How many of us have gone to mind, body, spirit conferences? Jesus is laughing at that idea. He's like, how odd to put those three together when only one is real. And the spirit, he does equate with the mind. He says the mind is the activating agent of the spirit, but when you get in touch with the spirit, you realize that you're part of the divine mind. That's what spirit really is, is divine mind. In French, some of you know in French, they don't have a different word for mind and spirit. It's l'esprit. It's, it's just one word. So imagine trying to translate the Course, <laughs> Course in Miracles, into French. That's why it's so big, if you've ever seen the French translation, because it's like a, a nightmare for, for translators. But that's kind of beautiful, l'esprit. The Divine Mind, the Spirit are the same. So in a practical way, we're here to strengthen our awareness of that Divine Mind and Spirit by giving away true ideas. That's why even a shy guy, because David was a shy guy and David was voted most quiet in his senior class and David was not one to travel and speak, but, but that just shows the involuntary essence, the involuntary nature of miracles, because it's not something that David would have chosen to do. To David that would be scary, be a waste of time, be a lot of things, but, but when you give yourself over to the Spirit and you say, I'm yours, whatever, my life is yours, use it as you, you will, then you find that everything seems to be those skills and abilities, everything that's part of that Personality self is just used like a puppet, like a puppet on a string for the divine. And as you keep sharing these ideas, they are strengthened. Now one of the things you have to overcome at the beginning is because you read a book and it talks about uh, being, at the end of the book, there's a manual for teachers and then it talks about being a miracle worker and then it mentions that you know, God's teachers, and then usually when you're first reading the book, you're just like, you have a suspicious eye when you hear God's teachers. Oh, is that what this is all about? I had this exciting life planned, and now I'm going to be a teacher of God. Ah! All the things I wanted to do in this life, and now a teacher of God. Because we, we conjure up images of teachers of God these like stoic priests and nuns, just like some of the people who went through the Catholic system, they'll say, oh, they just remember this nun had this ruler and she kept whacking them on the knuckles. So you're reading the book and you see Teacher of God and you go, oh, it's not going to be fun at all. That's no fun. But, but actually, a Teacher of God teaches through the mind and I would say, you teach most through your attitude. The teaching can be done with words, but if the words don't match your attitude, you won't have any students. <laughs> They'll be, look at that hypocrite over there, you know. Says this, but I saw that and that and that, so eh, I'm not interested. And you know, children are the same way. If their parents tell them to do things, don't smoke, don't drink, 
you know, don't do this and this. And if the parents don't provide an example of what they've just spoken, very quickly the children at very young ages will just go, yeah, well, yeah, those are nice words, but there's no congruity, there's no consistency. Why would I follow you if you say these things and you... You're, you don't demonstrate what you're teaching. Why should I even care? Many a teenager has left the house <laughs> when the parent says, my way or the highway. And, and the highway's looking pretty good. <laughs> if I've got a, an inconsistent parent <laughs> who's not really living up to parenthood ideals, then maybe the road is a better teacher <laughs> than the parent. And there are some. I think Kirsten left... Kirsten left home when she was like 15. Yeah, she was a teenager to go find another way. And then later on went back to get a, a high school diploma equivalent, you know. But So people have asked me, well, how has it gone traveling around and going to all these course groups and conferences and all the different people you've met with the course for many years, but... Actually, when I think of teaching, I don't really think of, of any of that, because that just felt, I was called and I was just given, and I just stepped right in and said, okay, I'll, I'll follow. You run the show, you lead the way. Actually, when I think of teaching, my most happiest memory that comes to mind of teaching is, is me living in my peace house in Cincinnati with two cats, with two female cats. That's the most fun I've ever had teaching. And people go, oh, come on. You've, you must have done more serious teaching out here at the monastery. I said, no, I, actually it was with the cats. Two few, they were actually kittens. They were brought to me as they rescued kittens from a woman who would go out and rescue animals that were left abandoned. So I had a three-legged kitten named Tripod and a four-legged one named Angel. And they were sisters. And I was at the Peace House, and I was practicing the course and everything, but we had an amazing household, us three, because it was fantastic. I, could, I would talk to them, and they, Angel would talk to me. You know, There was nothing verbal with it, though. It's amazing being in a household where you're the only one throwing out the verbiage. And nobody ever talks back to you, you know. <laughs> it's like doing a Johnny Carson monologue. And, and it, it, it kind of went that way with them. Sometimes they would just look at me with a strange look like, what are you, up, what are you on about now? And other times they would purr and cuddle. So we had a very affectionate, cuddly, and these two soft little creatures. And, and I was extending my attitude and... And what was so great about it was there was no pressure, there was no sense of verbal teaching. That's where people get caught and struggle with the whole teaching thing. Because they feel like teaching is words. And then they struggle with the words. When actually we have to go through a purification process and let the Holy Spirit choose our words for us. And then it's easy. Then there's no problem. But as long as we personally think we have to choose the words and get up in front of other people and are being critiqued and criticized, you see, it gets very uncomfortable. And that, then there's all these projections onto spiritual teachers and all this and all that. And the way that you 
transcend all that is you start to realize that you're teaching all the time based on your thoughts. That your thinking and your teaching are the same. And that's why you need mind training with the Course in Miracles, because you have to have a conversion of your thoughts. Teaching through behaviors, teaching through words, is not really teaching. That's just another concept of the ego. But we're used to that. We're thinking when we grew up we had teachers and students. And the teacher more, knew more than the students. And that's why the students were the students. And it's just a, an old context that we have to unlearn when we go with The Course in Miracles. That we're teaching every second of every day with our thoughts. And that's what I loved about my cats, you know. We just, we had a party. They were playful, they were ch chasing each other. The four-legged one would chase the three-legged one until a certain point when the three-legged one just stopped and went, now I'm going to get you. And then the three-legged one chased the four-legged one. And it was just very, very playful and very, very joyful. And I felt so relaxed that I could just soar and soar and soar into higher states of mind. Imagine if your relationships in your family were that simple. Imagine if your relationships with your partner, your wife, your husband, were that simple. That you started to go into like a telepathic classroom of the mind, where you, where you were more interested in what's inside the theater than what is appearing on the screen. Where you were more interested in how you felt and being authentic about your feelings. Nobody taught us that. It, you know, we were, we were programmed to stuff feelings. Oh, can't let anyone know I feel that way. I was raised in a, in a family where feelings could not be discussed. You could discuss the weather, the sports scores. You could discuss what was happening with aunt so-and-so, or uncle so-and-so, grandpa, whatever. You could not discuss feelings. If you threw the feeling out during dinner time, there would be no response. It was like nonverbal teaching. Not allowed. You just hear forks and knives clinking. I'm really feeling upset today. There was no, what are you upset about? Because why? That's a question about feelings. Be like, clink, clink, clink. Well, I, I feel like I've been mistreated. Clink, 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 clink. How about them Cincinnati Reds? They're going to make the playoffs this year. It's 80 degrees today, isn't it? You know, it, just, it was like the conversation would drift right back up to the superficial. Because there's a fear. There's a fear of the mind. There's a fear of feelings. There's a fear of explosiveness of emotions. Like taking over. Like emotions were judged as so explosive they could sink the whole ship. And the purpose of mom and dad was to keep the ship sailing, not to sink the ship. <laughs> you know, So they would ignore the feelings. And then you start to internalize it and then you start to ignore feelings and stuff feelings. And then that's how it went in the parable of David. I was, half, I was very asleep by, by high school because I, I thought it's a survival mechanism. I have to survive in the family. So I just stuffed everything. And then Jesus came into the picture in the 20s just saying, now we got to go in the other direction. You've just stuffed 
way too much. And we have to unstuff your mind. We have to, we have to decompress your mind now. It's so compressed with these judgments and these feelings that you've pushed out of awareness. So that gives you a context and I was quite grateful for Jesus, you know, guiding me to this little peace house, having it structured so I had, my roommates were little furry kittens and then furry cats and uh, a lot of the things that are huge distractions and dramas were not. I got to play doorman in a lot. 90% of the time it was doorman and uh, the other 10% was feed me and you know. But that was part of our thing, you know, I would take care of that. And as for them, we don't do emails, we don't take notes, we don't answer the phone. You know, they were very clear with me. Our function is to play. Occasionally you can help us, you clean out the litter box, we'll do the poop. Uh, you know, the, the rules, the roles were quite uh, very straight and very clear. It wasn't like we weren't discussing. I, did, I could never say to them, no, you clean out your own litter box. They would just give me a look like, what's wrong with you today? Don't you get it? You know, uh, and so this was a very good relationship because things were very clear. And I could focus more on my mind and my purpose, and they could focus on their mind and their purpose. And, and then none of us, we never talked back to each other. There were no words, really. You know, I, they allowed me to speak all the words I want. It was almost like, oh, he's got this word addiction. And so, you know. But we don't even know what he's talking about, so that's okay. Uh, we can tolerate the words. And, and they would talk back, especially Angel. She was very expressive. And she was very athletic, and her sister was more uh, meditative. But all three of us learned the lesson to be in harmony. It was very much harmony. There was very much joy and happiness in that little peace, peace house household. And... And I think that's a good note for all of us, that as we go on the spiritual journey and we start to realize how important our thought, our attitude is, our state of mind, when we see how important that is, we will be open to let Jesus simplify things. Because in the end, Jesus said, simplicity has nothing to do with form. You don't have to just eat nothing, wear a G-string, and meditate for 18 hours a day, which were some of my ideas I had. And he said, no, no, that's not actually required. Um, but actually, simplicity is right-mindedness, is being in your right mind. When you're in your right mind, the form can look however it seems to look. You're not here to ritualize form. You're not here to make form special by seeing this form is better than that form. That's just judgment and comparison. It won't help you at all. But, if you learn how to give over your thoughts to me for, and to the Holy Spirit for purification, then you will have a still, quiet, tranquil mind. And that right-mindedness is the simplicity. And I think if you really look back at mystics and sages and avatars throughout the ages, you know, they, they probably became 
less and less concerned about what they were wearing, um, and less and less concerned about the way their seeming environment looked, because it's all the screen. So there's nothing, there aren't better parts of the screen than others. In the end, that's what forgiveness does. It shows you all the images are the same. It washes away the ideas of preferences, because preferences are judgments. Preferences involve comparisons. And that kind of thinking keeps you locked into the, the dream, believing that you are stuck in the dream, that you're stuck on the screen. And as you release that, that's where the, the peace and the happiness come in. So this morning I asked them to bring a chair or two over because that's part of the fun of this. I know a lot of times you people write to me, message me. I'm getting messages now in, I don't know, five or six different ways. When I turn my phone on, it's ding, 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 ding. It sounds more like a pinball game. Uh, and, and yet I feel like that's what these festivals do, is they give us an opportunity to join together, to interact, to bring up what's coming up into our consciousness, what's in our awareness, to call upon the Spirit that Netta was guiding us through, calling upon the Holy Spirit today, lead me, go before me. And when you come into that as a habit, like lead me, guide me, go before me, and you allow yourself to, as Netta said again today, make no decisions. If I make no decisions by myself, that's a key idea. Because you're, you're literally saying, I want to merge with you, Holy Spirit. I want you to go before me. I want you to make decisions with me that will extend the miracle. It will extend the blessing. We have something going here. From underneath. <laughs> the crew's been watching, right? We have a baby, a little chipmunk, a little squirrel here with us. Except you become as a little squirrel, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, Stan and then Carly, um, you had your hand up earlier. Um, you can ask your question where you are, or if you have a deep topic that you want to explore, to come up and I will turn my chair and we'll do it that way. Whatever. Okay. Well, maybe you should come up here if it's that deep. We'll get you a microphone. I find it always is helpful with, especially with deep issues, to be able to chat. We, um, is it on? Yeah. Okay. We're selling our home. And if I showed, Up in Canada. Yeah. If I showed you a picture, you'd see the old picture is bricks, nine steps, and then a flat run of bricks, da-da-da. So I replaced all the bricks and the steps. 
four days. Really hot. And then there's the pathway of bricks. Interlocking, squiggly bricks. On each side is a beam. And the end of one beam is just a mess. But that's Chipmunk's home. (laughs) So here we have this $600,000 house for sale to impress those who need $600,000 houses. And the only flaw is the Chipmunk home. So (laughs) what I thought was, I want to put a little arc, a rainbow arc, over the rotten, twisted bricks and broken boards saying, Chipmunk's home. (laughs) Well, well, I just felt like (laughs) we, we, we feed him every day. He loves us. We love him. We keep the cats away because they have their own consciousness about chipmunks. (laughs) <laughs> food no not food right? <laughs> no food for you uh, we feed the chipmunks and we make sure we have the right kind of peanuts and he likes the big ones and one in each cheek and he comes every morning right up on your shoulder and if you don't have it he bit me once because I didn't have a peanut <laughs> so I feel, a re- I feel an intense responsibility to my chipmunk. And we're trying to move to Ahahik, and we're trying to do all these big, giant things, but my biggest concern is my chipmunk. And so I thought, if I made a beautiful little dome and a rainbow and a little just out of wood and just something that when you're walking along the path to this $600,000 house, you can, ooh, chipmunk house. That's nice, or that's not nice. And I honestly said to Sue, my wife... Well, if they don't like the chipmunk house, they're not going to buy our house. And I meant it. So when we came here and there was no tent, all day long our team is watching the chipmunk go down. He's looking for the hole. And then I even said to somebody, I don't know who it was, maybe Jason or somebody, we need to have a little rainbow sign that says chipmunk home. Because when the chairs were stacked up, the chipmunk was like, and we were, Jan and I were moving chairs out of the way and the chipmunks running around trying to find his house and I felt really chipmunk-oriented to say, <laughs> let's get that house exposed, right? And we couldn't find it, so we left it. Jan and I were like almost in tears, like, oh, poor Chippy. <laughs> so I don't know who's sitting by the hole. It could be the chipmunk. The chipmunk's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Chippy's got a cell phone. But if you see the hole by your feet, I don't know. That was it. I think it's interesting because out here in the canyon, there's a lot of beautiful lessons around uh, that involve the animals. Because of that thing you were talking about, like with the cats and the chipmunk, uh, we have bunny rabbits, and um, we have had different times of cats here, and we've had different kind of creatures that just kind of come and go. Cows, deer, goats, um, many different creatures. And and that's a big one because a lot of times people will come and they'll be drawn to something. 
and like a baby bunny rabbit and they'll they'll be with the bunny they'll pet it they'll cuddle it and so on and so forth and then there are other creatures around that will not just eat the little bunny rabbits but they just kind of tear them apart and then just leave them so that's kind of a, a perceptual it's a nudge back off the screen and into the theater when they've had an interaction for several days with a, with a, perhaps a, a young an infant uh, bunny rabbit and then they see this torn thing and it's it's bloody and the skin is just cut and and it's been uh, a creature has just done that to it and so that's that is just another of those opportunities though to come back into the mind like what what does this represent? Because we do have lots of chipmunks and we've had a lot of photos over the years of the chipmunks becoming so relaxed up near the, the kitchen area and the deck that they will come up from, usually from under the deck or from one of their holes and come and take food, take nuts, come up, uh, sit, sit on you sometimes and so forth. We even had one picture of our friend Sue Daniel who had a chipmunk, it was her long hair, and she had a chipmunk perched in her hair. Uh, and, and those are beautiful symbols, almost reminds me of St. Francis, and how gentle and how the creatures are reflections of the thoughts in the mind, and how gentle you can become that the creatures aren't afraid. They can come up, they interact, and, and yet there are those other things where I would say with, with the cat or with the the chipmunk home, even that you're talking about, either here or at your house, what that is is subtle, subtle defense mechanisms, which I'll just call protectionism. You know, even if you look at it in nature, that that parents, mothers will will protect their offspring, and this is part of the in the kill or be killed survival projection of the ego, which is really a projection of. Life is really eternal life, but it's projected out into form. That kill or be killed, that scarcity, that you know, danger is projected out from the mind toward the screen. And then there's many, many lessons around protectionism. And even when you get into spiritual community of various aspirants or, or students will come along and, and gravitate to particular teachers, and then you know how it goes. The teacher says, oh, great, I'll work with you. And then the teacher takes the student under their wing. And even in those kind of situations, there's a little bit of protectionism where then the teachers end up coming together. And, Did you hear what happened to my student? My student was treated this way. This, you know, it's almost like those are subtle aspects of the same thing that goes on with animals, of like a protectionism. Whereas the, the call towards awakening is always to bring us back to harmonize in purpose. And as we come deeper into that harmony of purpose and more focused and more riveted and more single, let thine eye be single, then all those even subtle protectionism things get washed away. But it's just important to remember that, that it's just symbols. So... Even the building a little chipmunk house is for you like a symbol in your mind. It's a symbol of honor, of respect. I decided not to build a house. I decided that 
chipmunk had a purpose of, and probably another hole. Yeah. And you feel, you feel good with it. So that's good. So now your house is up for sale, you're ready to make the big move. You and Sue down to Mexico. And you'll miss it. And, and here you've, maybe Chipper has a... <laughs> He's on his own here. Once we had the stack of chairs and we decided, Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. Everything in that sense comes back to what serves the whole. And then we even think of that even in terms of chipmunks. Like they all have to be part of a greater plan and we want that plan to be served by that. Beautiful. Thank you, Stan. Thank you. You can just leave it right there in case anybody else has Wait to see you down there, yeah. Mexico. <laughs> you'll be there. Okay, Carly. It's just been feeling really like plonked in my mind and really like down, really down and. Like hopeless. <laughs> Feels so hopeless. <laughs> and um and like I came here and I was hoping to like lift my spirit, you know? And um and I just feel so still hopeless <laughs> and um and just before I came here, everything got so hard, like, and and I forgot about love altogether, it seemed. And then just hugging people here is like, I forgot what soft was. Mm-hmm. And um, so it just feels like my mind has just been in a war zone, you know, and it had to be really hard. I had to have like a really big wall there, or something just to get back or something. And um, yeah, just I don't want to keep feeling like this. I don't want to, you know, like spend the whole time feeling like I can't open up and and trapped in my mind, you know, like this. And just hearing even coarse, <laughs> I can't hear it. And I can't even open it. I can't even look at Jesus' picture anymore. It's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, just contributes to the hopelessness feeling, I guess, you know. And so, uh, yeah, I just wanted to just get it off my heart because I felt like maybe that could help me, you know, to just go <laughs> feel something else. <laughs> that. Yeah, it's so important because, yeah, I feel your your devotion and willingness because uh, Carly came and was part of our uh, mystery school last uh, May and gave herself over for 30 days. And, and I think what happens is when you start opening up, even during that, I remember there was a period where you went into such a deep experience up in the teepee that 
that uh, Suzanne said, you stopped breathing for a while, just completely stopped breathing. It was very, very deep, and I was got walking by and guided to come in and be in the tent. And But it happens, it's like a, a reconfiguration that happens the more you dive down into spirituality. And then the ego, even though there's oftentimes witnesses and coming that are very soft and loving and gentle, um, there's a part uh, of that mind that's part of that unconscious mind that's just like saying, no, 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 this is not it, not so fast, I'm not just giving up here. And then that's where the harshness comes back, almost like the ego, sometimes I call it ego backlash or ego whiplash, that you go and you have these loving, heart-opening experiences and you go, this is it. I'm in the tractor beam. And then I know you go in it for for periods of time because I follow all your your all your Facebook posts and it's just like this wisdom is and and transparency is just pouring through the post and I can see all the reflections too of that are coming there. And then it can be in different ways. It can be sometimes family self concepts or some people have certain relationship self concepts or certain even cultural self-concepts that are so anchored that the anchors, the roots seem like they're steel. And then there's this kind of back and forth. where, And that's where the hopelessness comes in, is when you have such wide openings of the mind and you get such a, a full taste of the miracle. And then the harshness and the backlash, like the mind flips around into the old survival modes and the defenses and then the gulf or the gap between the miracle experiences and the the defenses is enormous and that it, that's where it just feels like like hopeless like how many times do i have to go through this this back and forth and um recently when we were leading up to this festival uh, we watched a saturday movie a group of the the strawberries the berries were together we all watched uh, Mary Magdala. And that was quite a movie. Um, Joaquin Phoenix played Jesus in that movie. But Mary Magdala was living in her town of Magdala. And and I would say even back in those days, 2,000 years ago, there, there were the sexual stereotypes for a woman and around a family were stronger than ever. It was like there weren't a lot of options. It's not like, oh, I'm going to, I'm sorry, I got to leave now. I got to leave Magdala. I'm going to become a biochemist or I'm going to Tel Aviv University and, you know, and studied sociology or this or this. Basically, the roles were so thick that basically Mary Magdala's options were to, they were trying and trying again to marry her off to a man. And so she could be a wife and a mother. It's like that was like ingrained so deep. Like, and if you don't get married and, and have children and be a mother, then you are shamed. You are shaming the family. You are shaming your brothers and sisters. You're shaming your father. It was just basically, here's plan A. Plan B is not a is not an option. So you have to do this. And then... And then Jesus comes along, he comes through Magdala, and then she feels this huge opening, and she really relates to what she hears coming from him. 
And yet, um, basically, after this happens, uh, the family reacts in kind of an egoic way where the, they get a group of men that basically go down and just keep dunking her under the water, um, dunking and dunking and dunking, claiming that she has a demon. It's actually the men that had the demon. <laughs> and the one that getting was getting dunked, almost drowned, was the one who was like feeling in her heart, oh, here we go. Here's Jesus. This is it. This is what I've been waiting for my whole life. I just want to follow. And then um, her father was so into people pleasing that he was trying to play hands off, like letting the men do whatever they needed to do. He was like, he was like absentee father. The brother was wildly angry, uh, violently angry, and and then when she finally decided to just go and join Jesus and the apostles, her, her sister is like, don't come back. Like, if you go, don't come back. And the whole thing was bringing shame on the family. Like, anybody who would bring that much shame on the family, we don't even need you in the family. It was like, we disown you. So that's what was facing her. And the beauty of it, too, is, is once she left the family and loosened from the family self-concept in her mind, it was only just beginning. Then she was there with 12 apostles that basically had their own uh, egoic ideas about Jesus being the Messiah and, and destroying the world or chasing out the Romans. And they had all their linear fantasies. And, and also, initially when she... It would be almost like a time of celebration. You'd think her, her joining the apostles, they were like... Now we will be divided because people will see all of us men and a woman and that's not going to go well. Like it was hard before and now we have a woman coming and it's going to be much harder. And so you start to realize from that parable that that's what all of us are going through is that it doesn't really matter how subtle the attachments are and how subtle these affiliations are and how tight these associations are that the ego made, that release is always release. And when we get our faith up to even move towards that moment that Mary Magdala felt, you know, the ego will, as it did for her, just come slamming in from all directions, almost drowning her. And then she was so hopeless and she was so disheartened by the whole thing that her father would just stand by while this group of men were trying to just dunk her over and over again, that she had no support whatsoever, and that she still had a belief that shame, she would, if she left and followed Jesus, she would shame her family. So it was like not, there was no win in her mind, no winning area, that she basically chose to just shut down. She would not speak. She shut down from even speaking. She just lay there, numb, and shut down. And finally the father did allow Jesus, uh, at the beckoning of another man, to, to come to the home. And it was only Jesus kneeling down beside her and putting his hand on her head and talking into her in such gentle tones that she would even come out of this like block, blocked, closed, shut down, state of mind and and then that was enough you know just that that visitation you know was enough to have her go 
walk away, even though her, her sister was like, don't come back if you're going to do this. And she knew it. She was letting go of the past to do this. She did it. And then there was much more to face because she had a very close relationship with Jesus. But the more she interacted with him, it was more like, like he was teaching her to come inside, pray, have strength, build your faith. Everything that he was teaching her was about that and, and about loosening from trying to figure out what was happening. Because that's what, a lot of what was happening was Jesus was having all these healing encounters. Um, you know, she even, just by following Jesus briefly, she saw that, that uh, he was basically interacting with men because the women were too ashamed and too afraid of what their husbands might do if they even began to go listen to Jesus for just one afternoon. That would be like a major rift and a major threat. But he did go in that movie to where the women were do washing clothes, and he stopped, and then he paused and waited for Mary Magdala to come out. And he did a teaching with, with her right beside him in front of all these women, and he was teaching equality. He was teaching we all have the Spirit of God in us that... That uh, And some of the women were asking, you know, who should we follow, God or our husbands? And he's like, God. You know, it, was, it wasn't uh, a difficult thing for him at all. He was just rolling out of his mouth. The truth was rolling out. And then, even among those women, they were like, I feel it. I feel this. This, this is so different from anything I've ever seen in my life, my culture. But, but I feel there's something really true and genuine here. So I think that's why, you know, you're here. And and just like you are on Facebook, you're just so transparent with everything. You know, that's what why you raised your hand, that's why you're up here. Among all your beloved brothers and sisters who can join you now in the prayer of of seeing the sparkle, seeing coming back to that sparkle. Because everyone has been at that place where they they have trouble looking at Jesus. Everyone's been at that place where they they just can't pick the course book up, where it's just one of those dark nights where you seem to lose all hope, and yet you have found the way to come here, and you have found a way to be with all your blessed brethren and sisters who want the same thing that you want deep down in your heart. And so I would say the prayer you can have as you go forward here is just pray and say, Holy Spirit, speak through me. And, and, uh, and if I'm too closed down to even be spoken through, if I find things difficult, then speak through my brothers and sisters. Let their encouragement, let the love come through to be hugged, to be held, for, for people to understand what you're going through, and then to just open it up with the transparency and say, I'm, I'm here to receive because when you feel that low, and you feel that stuck, and closed off, then that's the only thing you can do is like send up a flare of just help. You know, I just need help. And that's what you're doing. You know, you, it's just very courageous of you to, to come up and do what you do so well, is just be, be transparent. And trust that the faith is there underneath, and the way will be made clear that Whatever you seem to need will come rushing to you in support. And 
that's what I liked really about the Mary Magdala movie is even during the crucifixion and even when Jesus was all bloody and even when Mary went and looked at him when he was on the cross, she just was taking it inward. Please, the strength, show me the strength to go beyond appearances, to know the truth, show me the strength. And then toward the very end of the movie, it was um, Jesus, a resurrected Jesus, Mary Magdala sitting right next to him. And they looked at each other. First they made eye contact. Then came the smiles. And then they both laugh <laughs> together. That shows the strength. That's the strength of the faith breaking through. Even the crucifixion scene. Even the, the scene of like, you're, you're no longer here with us. It was a beautiful symbol to her mind that the, her faith was was rewarded, was was beyond what the senses were showing. So just be open to that. And I, all of us will will be here to love Carly and, and pour out our love. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Love you. I don't have, I don't feel I have how to say something specific. Um, I feel I've been um, on the process of unwinding and and it it feels like like everything is being turned apart and yeah i I feel lost and part of me feels this is part of it and yes I, I've been I've been asking the Holy Spirit help 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 um yeah <laughs> and uh, nothing else is coming <laughs> that too yeah I I I find myself still judging a lot of course, that's judging my. I'm judging myself for like still going. I'm like, okay, here I go again. Here I go again. I'm crying again, and and I want to heal. I want to heal my mind a hundred percent. Um, I've judged myself of not doing this right. Of you know, they say I need to do nothing. I'm like, yeah, I. Like guidance, like career-wise, like career-wise. Like I, I stopped working on February, and I was working a lot. And I, I really want to give myself space to, like, I want to follow Holy Spirit's guidance. And it feels hard with all this stuff going on, like, and feeling lost, out of control. Um. Yeah, my desire is to heal. And, yeah, I feel I'm doing my best. And then, voices, my best is not good enough. And, and yes, everything in my life seems like in September, 
I don't know where we'll live, um, my relationship, my partner, I don't know if we're going to go on. And so it's like, it's like everything is like, poof, like I know nothing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, well, thank you for sharing that because it's like you're describing the dismantling that goes on and I don't know about you, but many people might remember in the Matrix trilogy, the first Matrix movie, when uh, Neo is just like a, a hacker and living kind of a lonely, isolated life, but um, very fearful. And then when he finally meets Trinity and has led to the first meeting with Morpheus, um, he immediately upon meeting Morpheus starts to go through a major dismantling of everything. Just a major disillusionment, and um, basically, it's described as being becoming unplugged. And uh, Morpheus says, yeah, "I imagine now you're feeling a bit like Alice uh, going down the rabbit hole." And uh, he seems to go through an experience where he has to kind of get flushed down. This almost looks like a toilet or a drain, and then pulled up by this mechanical. Uh, hand or, or an arm that pulls him up and then he has to have his entire uh, body rebuilt. And he's just totally laying there, totally disillusioned. And he says, uh, my eyes hurt. And Morpheus says, you've never used them. And I think for a lot of us, that's that's how the spiritual journey seems when you reach a certain point where you just, you have all these ideas about living in spirit and and living for God and living for for the spirit's purpose and then when you do really pray that prayer in your heart then it just seems like this Im immense dismantling starts almost like we never had any idea how addicted we were to the whole world and then by our true prayer of the heart like sending our flare up like I'm ready to go through whatever it takes, there's this huge dismantling. And and yet also we open up to the idea that symbols, that we can be reached in some way. And I hear you saying right now is like you just, you need a, a period of almost like in a womb or an incubator, you just, because it's so dark and because it's so painful, um, the, really the prayer of the heart becomes, I just need a space um, to pass through this. That's really what you're praying for. And I know for myself, after I stepped out of all those years of 10 years of university and and uh, feeling the same kind of feelings, I remember um, for some years I had just been down in my parents' basement and that was my cave in my parents' basement. And um, at first it was, you know, you know, I would hear every time I would come up, you know, you, what are you doing with your life? What about your career? And, you know, you, <laughs> the typical things you would experience from coming up from your parents' basement and, and hearing the world's voice, broadcast, earth to David, get a life, you know, it's like, and, and then going back down and, and really having to face what Mary Magdala was facing, the shame, just the shame of like, wow, where is this heading? I, I don't even know where it's going with my job, my career, my partner, with anything. It's like all the strings seem to be be cut. 
And, and then for me, too, it was uh, facing that period of paying off some student loans and then getting a little travel trailer and living out in the woods. And uh, my mother, my parents were like, you're, now you're living in the woods? Like, you didn't, we put you in Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts, and you didn't even do well in that, and now you're going to go off and live in the woods? Like, you think you're like Robinson Crusoe or something, you know? Have you been reading? What book are you reading? And how is this helping your career to go out and live in the woods, you know? And I'd say, well, Henry David Thoreau, who? You know, it's like, so, you know, there was a period of, like, facing darkness, facing shame, and, and really it was more just the same thing where I gave my heart over and said, okay, I'll go through the healing and, and whatever it looks like. And then after I took my Course in Miracles to the woods and was reading it among the, the bugs and you know, all the things that you face in the woods, snakes back then, bugs, and snake coiled up on my, in my closet when I opened it up on the hangers, like, here I am, this is my house now, and oh, just all kinds of things. Then, then um, it really was a time for me to drop inward more and more, and to just be allowing the, the dark thoughts up. But it's, that's always the toughest time. That's the, it, it, it's only going to get better from there, because it's the turnaround where the ego is most threatened. The ego's like had a grip on the mind, and then when you f turn in willingness, then the ego's grip is loosened. And it goes from suspicious to vicious. It cranks it up when, when you make that turn, because it's the first step in its undoing. And then, for me, I the, had the most helpful thing for me was to learn to follow guidance. And so that's when Jesus took me on like five years of walkabout around the United States, where I didn't have any church affiliation, institutional things, no savings, no money market, no nothing. And, and Jesus was like, good, you're in perfect position <laughs> with, with owning nothing, having nothing, having no seemingly visible means of support in the worldly sense. That's when Jesus said, now I'll watch, I'll go before you. I'll tell you where to go, I will provide for you. And that was, again, flipping everything, because we're used to working for a living, and we're used to providing for ourselves. And then this was a flip like, no, that's not even going to get you back to heaven. You have to let me provide for you, and, and a, miraculously, over and over. Because that, for me, it was the Protestant uh, work ethic was so ingrained, and it was so tight. It was like a steel band, and I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. You know, I may be dead if I just go out there with no planning and no preparation. And yet, I, I, he was speak through me and go to course groups and unity churches and and go out and shine your light. And then people inviting me left and right, many many invitations coming. And for someone who was shy, that was like shocking. You know, it was almost like like a fairy tale that I've gone into a fairy tale land and Jesus is behind everything in the fairy tale land and. So that that took a lot of convincing, but but the steps do come. That that just by keeping the prayer of your heart open for that healing, the steps happen, and the things that we put a lot of faith in, uh, faith and security, and 
you know, we have every right to safety and security, but it's just our definition, our version of safety and security is, is really upside down. And then Jesus has to take that picture and use the images to turn it right side up, that we're always divinely provided for, and whatever we need to serve such a holy function would be given us, without, really without effort even. And that so contradicts all the programming and conditioning. And, but I feel like that's why you're here, that, that not only are you here to be inspired by the music and, and by the sessions and everything, but, but there are those here that are really taking major steps or have for many years taken steps in this divine providence. And even St. Francis, you know, as he was going through that flip, he, he left his family, left his comfortable life. You know, his dad was, was a, a merchant um, a salesman and buying and selling fine cloths, and, and he had everything provided for in his family life, but yet it wasn't satisfying. Like there was something calling him and then it was pretty big to leave Assisi, and it was pretty big to go out and go through those struggles of what he believed in, in memories from the war that he'd been a part of, you know, going off in the Crusades and everything. He had to face all those things, and then keep the faith growing stronger and stronger, and that's why, you know, today he's known as St. Francis, because he was able to keep the faith with this big turn, away from the programming of the world. So you're in the right place to come out here and, and just have the faith to come and join. And, and, uh, and also, I feel like there is a helpfulness in the, the community living offers a lots of symbols and lots of opportunities every single day to face those things and to openly talk about them. You know, whereas in society oftentimes... You know, it's almost, there's certain things you don't even talk about. They're just accepted norms and patterns. Whereas with the community and here during this, these days, you can bring all this up. When those emotions come up, you don't have to push them down. You can just feel them come up and you can verbalize them. And for our community, uh, we also feel that while we enjoy this, this deep community and the deep uh, opportunities that come with it, we're getting a little bit more into broadcasting. It's like broadcasting mysticism. What a novel idea. So I'm open for ideas, show ideas. <laughs> you tell us <laughs> what you want. But we're really open to, to you know, taking the lid off of and being very transparent of this deep journey. Because a lot of you, that, that's the way that you've come. You've come through watching the, the broadcast, and, and we need your input while you're here to tell us what would be the most helpful things for us to put on TV. If it's around relationships, we have, have a couple different partnerships that if those are big-time struggles, then we could put shows on on relationships being given over to spirit, and how do you how do you pray together? How do you reach uh, a joining in, in purpose and priorities? Um, if there are areas of strong disagreement, how have you handled those? What did you do? What were you guided to do to handle those? You know, we're just 
we're wanting for our broadcast to be the most relevant, the most pertinent to your questions, your experiences, your curiosities, to really touch your heart. That's the only reason for us to do it. There's no other reason to broadcast other than to be truly helpful in that way. And so we're actually inviting participation, whether it's feedback or um, show ideas or actually uh, participating in some, maybe even an interactive one where you, we have some kind of a call-in set up where you can just speak what you need to speak. And we also have a prayer and support uh, function that, that we would love to hear your feedback on too. Is it, have you used it? Has it been helpful? What things would you rather have? You know, we're, we're just here to serve the Spirit and, and we're here. We're here to take your hand and hold your hand through this because, you know, even with Neo, he needed Morpheus there and he needed Trinity and he could have never come through what he was going to come through without their love and their support and their belief. You know, I believe in you, and I, I believe in what's emerging through you, and, yeah, it, it can't be stopped. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. Thank you. I don't really have a question. <laughs> I just felt like being up here was the prayer of my heart, <laughs> what I want right now. It's just to be here. <laughs> yeah. Just the examples that have the symbols <laughs> this whole time. Just watching the consistency, the flawless, <laughs> fearless. Yeah, those are important examples because yeah, when we grow up we don't often see a lot of them. And then when they start to come into our awareness, then that gets our attention. And I think that's, that's one way of describing how the con conversion goes from upside down to right side up. You start to see these symbols of, that are flawless, that are, that are fearless, that are strong, that are loving, that are joyful. And then your perception starts to fill up more with those symbols. And you might say that's just, a, that's just like the harbinger, that's just the, the way before you actually break into a total transfer of training, then you do need witnesses and those are what the miracles are. They, whenever you see a shining example, or shining demonstration, there's something it's inside that goes, ah, I recognize that. Recognition. Recognition. Yeah. And then the more and more it seems to come in perception, that just means that the mind is healing. It's, it's going to draw forth witnesses of love. And what that means, we're, we're not talking about actual specific witnesses of love as opposed to witnesses of hate, where you, you feel like a double vision, like, Okay, that was loving, that was loving, that was loving. But that was horrific. And that was terrible. Because in the end, it can't be that that has anything to do with truth or reality. What kind of God would make up symbols of love and symbols of fear? That's as dualistic as it gets. But, as we allow the purification to occur, we begin to see more and more witnesses of love 
our mind starts to ease, relax, to rest, and we are more and more willing to just say, okay, this can't be the truth, but this is, this is starting to become a happier experience for me. And again, truth is not happier, or it's not a matter of partiality or, or degree. Um, that's the thing that is distinctly truth, is that it's, it's the same, and there's no exceptions to it. But that's part of the, the transformation, just being allowed to allow your mind to take those in, to take those witnesses in. And it's also a way of not making any witnesses special. Because that's the determination of the ego to try to grab certain witnesses and say, this is my witness of the truth. Uh, I've even, in all my travels with The Course in Miracles, um, I've been in some groups and people will come up to me and they'll be holding the Course book in their hand and they'll be waving it around. They said, I finally found the truth. And I said, well the truth isn't a book. <laughs> and they said, well, but I mean the words in the book. I said, no, the truth is not the words in the book either. As if the truth is some kind of theology and you have to find the, the correct theology. It's not like that. In the Course Miracles, Jesus says, truth cannot be described or explained, only experienced. What a beautiful sentence to, to take us not to even make a special relationship with the Course in Miracles with certain words, or certain phraseology, a certain language. Truth is so vast, it has no tie to anything in form. The truth is like a trampoline, that you know, if you get on it and you get excited with it, you can start springing, springing, and, and then eventually spring way past the trampoline. So you no longer need a trampoline anymore. Just go soaring off with the angels, <laughs> uh, unbound by gravity. But the Course is really helping us look at our belief in that gravity. And that's where the seriousness comes in, you know. Truth is a happy, a happy matter, <laughs> joyful. But the, the ego tries to make everything so serious. Did I do it right? Am I fulfilling my function, you know, and really getting into it? from a kind of a linear perspective, like a vice. And we don't want to take that to heart. We want to be light-hearted and truly let the Spirit go before us in a light-hearted way, with our happy lessons leading us to higher and higher heights of happiness. So it's just great that you're here. Yeah, I have a fear of just being seen, just to walk up on stage and talk through a microphone and have everyone looking at me. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, and that's what I'm here for is to um, actually, I showed up for the silent or the quiet answer retreat, um, and uh. The way I remember it is we said our name and we said one word that was on our heart and mine was fearlessness. And I was afraid of that, <laughs> you know. But that's what I want, is to be free of fear. Oh, beautiful. 
Yeah, that's a beautiful yeah. prayer. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Renee. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, back in the back. Yeah. Lisa Lotte. <laughs> okay, that's all right. Welcome. I don't know why, <laughs> but it took me a lot of courage to come up. Well, I'm, you know, I'm not scared to come up here, and but it's it's what's going on, and it's it's been going on for yeah for quite some time, of course, but. You know, I, my, my prayer is letting go of specialness. And you, you brought it up uh, just now, like about a minute ago or something, and I was, I was, before I was thinking I have to go up. Like, I, I want to go up because I'm holding myself back so much. Like, I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to do it. And I was like, What? That's the reason why I have to go do it <laughs> exactly as. <laughs> and uh, my prayer is just, yeah, like that belief that I have of specialness, that that's over. I, I truly want to give it over because it... <laughs> It doesn't mean anything to me, truly. And then, because of that, because I, I want that to be over so badly, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of, of singing. Like I. It's something inside of me something is telling me like oh then you then you shouldn't sing <laughs> you know but it's that that thing like it doesn't mean because you're seemingly in this world you can sing that you know you're special that you're more than anyone else it's not true at all and so I'm I keep on going like I want to give over that belief. I want the truth. Yeah, what better place to come than to a music festival <laughs> to undo that belief? I mean, you got to like the spirit's humor. It's like, oh, thank you. Like, that's really great. <laughs> yeah, going up on stage and, and being so transparent and coming to a music festival. Yeah. <laughs> you got to love it. <laughs> It, it was it definitely was a huge step for me to give over that to not do that musical and and coming here instead of instead of playing that part 
but then eventually it was like I, I don't have any problems with it anymore I told you a couple of days ago as well like these the concerts over the last week it, I don't care about them <laughs> I, 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 I care about sharing the love and and uh, so no dilly dallying no anything that's going to keep me from uh is going to kind of yeah keep me from going for it completely following my my true heart's desire completely that i don't i don't i don't want i don't want it to i don't want to be a part of that <laughs> but then again then <laughs> it like keeps me from singing because that then that belief comes up of like uh, then you can't sing either you know then you can't do that either yeah, it's associated yeah. the specialists and the singing have been like ego has tied them together yeah. and now you're coming here to say hmm can that not be untied because that's the thing you know like remember when we were talking uh, over the internet you were saying that you would you would come up and then before you would go out for a performance and the front of all the cameras and the lights and New York City you would go out there but you would have to face a fear before you would go out there and that was almost like crossing a fear threshold to do a performance that was connected into this machine we'll call it of of fame and notoriety and importance based on the skills and the form and everything like this. It was part of a machine that was almost like trying to seduce you in, away from your playfulness, away from your, your childhood glee and your spontaneity. And it's so alluring, you know, I mean it's, that's one, uh, New York City and the spotlight, you know, that's what people, many, many people would go and strive for and just want to work hard just for an opportunity to get out to be in that position. And yet, even though we didn't have a tent um, years ago, we, we have had this same stage, and you're located in the same spot as Eric. Where's Eric? There's Eric. Eric was right in that spot years ago in Strawberry, and there was a, a tent, a shade thing over the people back there, and Eric came up here. I was over there on the side of the stage. And Eric came up and he had his guitar with him and all these people showed up to hear him play his spiritual songs. And there was eager anticipation at the music festival. And he came up and then he just laughed and laughed and laughed. And he said, I'm just going to meditate. I'm going to meditate. And... I was having so much fun on the side there because I was looking at the faces and some of them were in disbelief and you know like like call the people with the straight jackets and jokes I mean as the as this went on this was not for a couple minutes he came up here to meditate at a music festival and I just was having I was kind of squealing with delight at watching the crowd squealing with the expectations that he would sing and and then when he would pick up his guitar, everybody would kind of, okay, we 
waited it out long enough. Now, and then he would just laugh and he'd go, nah. <laughs> and he would go back into it. And then he, at one point he did look to me over on the side and I'm like, go for it. <laughs> you know, because it was an undoing moment. You know, it was like coming to a music festival with all a whole bunch of songs that people know by heart and everybody in there. And then I would watch as this went on for quite some time, I would hear, come on, Eric, come on, you know, <laughs> they were like trying to egg him in there. And he's like, no, I think this is important for me. I really need to meditate here and everything. And, and he did finally sing some songs, but um, I think maybe Strawberry Field <laughs> was one of them and, and some songs. But, but you know, that, that epitomized, right where you're sitting was right where Eric was. That was epitomizing what you're talking about, was to, to sing from joy, to sing in a spontaneous way, to sing in an involuntary way to sing without expectations, more like really to be sung through. Like you have an instrument that's been finely tuned through much work and effort, but, but still the purpose is to be sung through. And I feel like that will be the way that that knot, that tying the singing with the specialness, that will be undone. Because if you have a talent, and I'm sure Netta could talk about this too, when you have a great, great talent, then the ego will try to hijack that talent uh, for a future purpose. It, you know, make no mistake, it's, it's going, it needs a future. It can't exist in the present, and it needs a future to perpetuate itself. And so it will try to take that talent and say, be reasonable, stretch that out into the future, and make a career out of it or something like that. And then the Spirit is saying, I got you. You know, you, you are such joy and such happiness and you are such an honor to God that, that things will work out where it won't be about the music. But that, that is like a fine line. It's a fine art to be sung through without buying the bait of that one. Many others. <laughs> These songs come in my mind. I, <laughs> I just had it as a gift. Okay, you can, you can sing it. Sing it, don't hold back. <laughs> That's how it happens with me. I'm just talking away, and all of a sudden the song comes coming through. I've got no control over it either. <laughs> It's hard <laughs> because I I'm hearing so many voices, <laughs> and the thing is that when I hear the song, it's coming from pure joy, and it's it feels like the spirit, and then everything that stops that is not, you know. So I was talking to Eric yesterday, and we were kind of talking about this same thing, and and he said just do it very slowly bit by bit and like it, it was mostly mainly about like me just being scared and not in don't want to interrupt people I don't want to disturb anyone you know like oh, that, oh my god I don't want to hear it I don't want to hear anyone sing you know and then I'm like why do I have to feel like the a mistake or um being wrong uh in in like f 
when I want to sing it, it every time I want to sing it seems like it's just the spirit wanting to deliver a message and then the ego interrupts that and I'm like yeah and that's the same thing when I have these concerts or these shows when I'm on the stage when I'm doing it it's great because then I f it, it seems like I can just shut up that voice I mean not all the time and definitely not when I'm acting sometimes it can be so in it but sometimes there's like hey I'm playing this character now but there's another character playing at the same time me the, I mean the ego Liesl and or Lilo <laughs> and it's just so yeah hmm Like I'm, I'm so ready to um, before before my my last concert. I, there were so many fear thoughts, but but then again, there was also it was just a beautiful moment of like undoing and learning so many lessons and. And then I go on stage and I'm like, the song is just perfect for me at that time to really let all the emotions out or really like, yeah, it's like letting the spirit talk. And then after, <laughs> there's like a lot of doubt again and this and that, but um, yeah. yeah. That's very common. When I first went to Course in Miracles groups, I would have the spirit just pouring for me at the group and then when I would leave and be driving back home or whatever then the ego would start in you know with its commentary oh why'd you say that and oh you brought up healing well, now you're a healer and you know it was just you know it would just go on and on and on with the commentary and when you're there at the group and you're sharing and the joy's there and you're hugging and you're in the flow of it then the ego is like just kind of sitting back behind the rafters, you know, like, wait, I'll have my time to give you my critical commentary on this. And we all know that. That's just the way that it works. So it's it's quite quite common. It's good to kind of know the context that that's pretty common when you go through this transformation and and not to make such a big deal of it, you know. It's like, thank you for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> You continue if you choose to continue to be critical. Well, we're just going to be with this and watch this, but there has to be that sense of distancing from the critique and distancing from all that. And and yet, part of the machine is to have good critique, good reviews. You know, that's what drives the machine, and so it's it's also part of a like a monetary machine of growing bigger and more taking more uh, attention and more emphasis. So I think you're just at that point now, how wonderful, what are you, about 25 years old? And you're discovering, hmm, there's another way. Like Bill Thedford discovered, you know, when he was praying, he was asking Helen Shuckman, there must be a better way for us to live. And, and how beautiful that you're just at that place where you're receptive to it. And so we need to celebrate that celebrate the reception that there is another way and then that's a journey into itself once once you start to take a stand for that and you know like Melissa who just was up here when you really take a stand 
for that and say, I'm worthy of that, I deserve that, I'm going for this, then the ego will try to step it up and say, oh yeah, we'll just see. And then you say, yeah, we, we will see. You know, you're not going to back down from it. And that's really beautiful that you're doing this. So maybe if the moment's right and at some point during the festival, you know, whether it's yourself or with a collaboration or something where it just starts to tickle your heart and you start to feel like, oh, I feel, I can hear it and it wants to come through, that's, that's the best way. That's the best way. It's the best entry point. The Beatles. Oh, cool. I love the Beatles. I was listening before I came down here to all my versions of, of Strawberry Fields Forever. Yeah. With a song in a particular song? You want to sing a couple lines for us? Ah. Sing without regard to an outcome. What? There's nothing more beautiful than that. There's nothing more beautiful than that. Yeah, that's profound. <laughs> oh, sweet. That's precious. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming up. That took a lot. come true and then while I'm away I'll write home every 
will send to you. Oh, my loving, darling, I'll be true. Oh, my loving, hello, my loving, oh, my loving, darling, I'll be true. I think this is voice liberation. This is voice liberation. We just did the whole workshop right there in three minutes. <laughs> Thank you. Woo.